Okay, we're joined with Adam, and welcome everybody out. I'm happy to be here, happy to be back from Columbia, South America, and many of the brethren, uh, when you kind of like parting ways, they say, send greetings to your family and send, send greetings to the brethren there in Kentucky. And so they send many greetings to you, and anyway, it was, uh, it was a profitable trip, good trip, and uh, safe and secure. And anyway, glad to be back home. Always, always glad to have the opportunity to go teach other places, but certainly most uh, welcome to, to be back. Uh, this morning, we invite you to attention as we study from the Word of the Lord and uh, want you to follow along in the various verses that we're going to be looking at, various texts, as we study an, an important concept uh, here this morning. All right, we begin uh, a couple, uh, just a few years ago, I was traveling out, in, out west, and anyway, in the state of California, I like sightseeing of the national parks, national monuments, and anyway, I went to this place called the ancient Bristlecone Pine Forest. In California, you have like the Pacific Ocean, and then there's some mountains, and then there's the San Juan Key Valley, and then you get up into the Sierra Madre Mountains, and they're really, really tall, and so most of the moisture sort of rings out as the weather comes off the ocean, and then you've got another valley, and then you get into the White Mountains, and that's where these ancient bristlecone pine forests are located. Now, what's unique about them is not that they are massive trees, they're not real big like the sequoia trees there in the Sierra uh, Nevada mountains, which is the greatest, uh, biggest trees in the world. They're not like the redwoods, the tallest trees. They're not like oak trees that are just magnificent and majestic here in uh, the state of Kentucky. They're not colorful like uh, maple trees when they turn colors. They're not like dogwood trees that have beautiful blooms. Really, they kind of kind of wiry looking type trees. And here, here's another example. Uh, but what is unique about them is they live a long time. And we're not talking about a few hundred years, we're, talk, we're talking about a few thousand years, the capacity of these trees to live. And uh, anyway, it's up in the mountains. Uh, it's kind of, a, kind of a rough kind of, kind of place up in the mountains, around 10,000 feet in elevation. The, the, the ground is very poor. And uh, anyway, this is one of the uh, placards there in the, in the park. And it talks about appearances may, can be deceiving because a lot of times when you look at trees, uh, you, the bigger they are, well, they must be older. But not with these, this particular tree, the ancient bristlecone pine tree. It's actually the ones that are kind of more kind of short and, and real gnarly that they're the ones that kind of live the longest. And uh, anyway, this placard describes it, and, and it talks about the adaptions of long life. And, and it's kind of interesting, these trees, they retain their, their needles for a long time. A lot of pine trees will keep them for a few years and they get rid of them. These will keep their needles for like 40 years before they lose them. And uh, the seasons grow very slow for them. And the winters are harsh, being up in the mountains in the high altitude, it's very, very harsh there. And the soil is very poor, and, and so there's not a lot of undergrowth. But that helps in, in ways, because without the undergrowth, you don't have problems with fire. And as they grow really, really slow, they're very, very dense. The wood is very dense, very hard. Therefore, it resists, uh, it, it resists insects and, and various diseases, and uh, that sort of gives them the opportunity to live long. And then I came across this placard. And this is interesting. It says, sweet are the uses of adversity. That's a quote from William Shakespeare. 
Sweet are the uses of adversity. And uh, anyway, it talks about how these trees have adopted the adversity and the adverse circumstances. Really, it has been to their advantage that they can live thousands of years old. I mean, it's just incredible. The, these trees were living before Jesus came to this earth. These trees were living before the pyramids were built. I mean, that, that, to me, that's just incredible. And so, in the bottom it says, the ability to use adversity to its advantage. And that's the concept. Sweet are the uses of adversity. That quote from William Shakespeare. And we think about that, we think, wait, wait a minute, sweet are the uses of adversity? We think adversity? I mean, you wouldn't think of words like sweet, you would think more like bitter, grievous, uh, painful, harsh, distressful, uh, uh, etc. These types of words, when you think of adversity, I mean, you wouldn't couple adversity with the word sweet, but yet William Shakespeare, he says, sweet are the uses of adversity. But actually, this is a, a biblical concept. And so that's our study, is to use this concept, sweet are the uses of adversity, that is, the ability to use adversity to the advantage, to its advantage. And let's just look at some areas of biblical examples of what we're talking about. How adversity can be sweet, not the adversity itself, but what benefits that can come from that. All right, first off, let's notice how our muscles are made stronger. Our muscles made stronger. Notice in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul talks about exercise. He talks about physical exercise. He talks about spiritual exercise. And they're parallel in the concept of how you build up either muscles of the body or muscles spiritually. He says, but refuse profane and old wives, old wives' tales and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits for a little while, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So we think about our muscles, our physical muscles. Well, how are muscles made stronger? I mean, do you just sort of like uh, take some paste and just, well, oh boy, that, my arm just feels stronger. I, I put that paste on there, some muscle paste, and you know, it just, it's feeling stronger already. No, that's not the way it happens. Muscles are made stronger through exercise. And the more you use these muscles that we have in our body, the stronger they will become. You don't become really strong and can play football and all these other sports by just... Uh, you know, watching TV or playing video games. It's through exercise, exercising this muscle. And when you really exercise a lot, those muscles will hurt. And there's pain and there's adversity, but and the end result, you are made stronger. And as it is physically, so it is spiritually. How are, how are we made stronger physically? Our spiritual muscles are made stronger through adversity. That's how they come. That's how we get stronger. That's how they're made stronger, is through adversity. Have you ever noticed these people that go up to the space station and they live for like two or three months? Ah, they do some exercises to try to stay in shape, but still when they come back, it's like uh, up there, they, they exercise for whatever, a few minutes and two or three times a day or whatever they do, but then the rest of the time, there, there's no resistance. I mean, you can just take your finger and, beep, 
and you just go zipping all the way across the room, all the way across the space station. Just take your finger, just a little push, and you go all the way across. Now, if you're going to go from that side of the building to the other side of the building, you're going to use your muscle because gravity is all the way across, and, and you're going to feel the weight of gravity and the weight of your body, but in space, you're, you're not using hardly any muscles at all. And so these people come back, and there's like, you know, it's like, you can just feel the sag because their muscles have become weak. Well, if we're going to be stronger, we're going to have to exercise our bodies or exercise our spiritual bodies. It is through adversity. And so when William Shakespeare said, sweet are the uses of adversity, that is adversity makes us stronger. It makes our muscles stronger. It makes us spiritually stronger when we go through various trials and tribulations of life. And for that benefit that comes, well, then that's a blessing. Just like if you're very weak. I mean, it's like people in the hospital. They, they've been in bed for several days, and they're sort of out of it, and, you know, just setting up. I mean, they, they, they like patients just, even just to set up. You, you use so many, uh, so many more muscles just setting up as opposed to laying down. And then finally to set up and then to stand up and to walk short distances. And slowly you sort of build yourself back up. And if you're in bed for a long time, you, you get weak pretty quick. Not using muscles. And so it is spiritually. And so we're made stronger through adversity. That's, a, that, that's sweet to be a strong person spiritually. And that is sweet and that is something that is good. And then when you talk about adversity, it can not always, but it certainly can cause people to seek after God. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, in the Old Testament there, in Isaiah chapter 26 and in verse 9, Isaiah said, With my soul have I desired you in the night, yea, with my spirit within me I will seek you early. Now listen to this last part of the verse. For when yours, that is speaking about God, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. When there are judgments, when there are plagues, when there are problems of what God allows in his providence, the people of the world learn righteousness. Always? No. Most? Not generally. But some people will finally wake up in, in, in the judgments and the plagues and the problems that, that befall humanity sometimes will cause people to wake up. And people who wake up spiritually and then seek after God and learn about God, and then follow God, that end result, that's what is sweet. Sweet are the uses of adversity. If adversity leads you to God, if adversity leads you to become a, a child of God, if adversity leads you to be stronger in the Lord, well, the end result is sweet. Not the adversity, but the end result of adversity. Consider a couple of texts in the book of Psalms. In the 119th Psalm, Psalm 119, look at verse 67, and let's look at verse 71. Very similar, but makes the same point. Before I was afflicted. Yeah, everything's great, no affliction, everything's hunky-dory in my life, good job, good food, good health, good family, everything's great. Except no relationship with God. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. They were just living in the world. Everything's great. But now have I kept that. Now have I kept your word. Well, you see, when everything's going good, you're not thinking about God. But then affliction comes. It causes this person to begin to think about God. 
cause this person to keep God's word. And when you keep God's word, that is sweet. That is wonderful. That is great. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It's not good just to be afflicted. It's not like, okay, somebody come up and just give me a whip, and I just need a big whipping with a horse whip. Just lay it on me. No, that's not, that's not what's good. But when affliction comes, if that affliction causes you to seek after God, to seek after His will, and to seek uh, doing Him, uh, doing His things, and, and uh, following Him, and become His child, or become more faithful, or to come back to God, now that is good. That is sweet. You think about the prodigal son. There in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. It says in verse 13 beginning. And not many days later the younger son gathered uh, everything together. And took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. The idea of waste is to squander. The definition of the concept of the word prodigal is to waste, to squander. It's like uh, taking some good food and just scattering out there in the dirt. You're not going to gather it up and eat it. You just wasted it. You, you squandered it. In verse 14. And when he had spent everything, there arose a great famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his belly with the husk the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have uh, bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and before you, and no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. You, you think about the prodigal son. When did he wake up? And, and generally our response is, well, you know, when he was there feeding pigs. Well, that's not exactly correct. He was there feeding pigs. He was in the midst of famine. He was without work. His buddies were no longer there. That's true. But look at there at verse 16. As he's thinking about eating the pig's food, it says, and no man gave unto him. Verse 17, and when he came to himself. When did he come to himself? When he got to the point when no man gave unto him. You see, the problem with a lot of people that's in sin and wickedness is that there's always somebody just sort of enabling them, sort of bailing them out, sort of kind of giving them, giving them this, giving them that. Here's somebody that's, that's their, 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 their life is a mess, and, and maybe some grandparents going to give them some money, going to give them some help, going to give them some, some help. And, you know, they have compassion. You know, I, can't, I can't stand to see my grandson. can't see, stand to see my daughter. can't stand to see whoever it might be. And so they're going to give it. might be an aunt. might be an uncle. might be a co-worker. might be a school buddy that they, that they, that they uh, run around with. But somebody's always just bailing them out. And it just sort of enables them to just continue on in their stupid lifestyle of wickedness and transgression. And sometimes when people are making these very bad decisions, the best thing is just to let them fall flat on their face and feel the full weight of their consequences, of their bad decisions. And that's what the text says, and no man gave unto him. It was Robert Jackson that pointed this out to me several years ago. And the one that pointed out to him was this, uh, this man who, who was an alcoholic and his 
his family was kind of doing all kinds of things. He'd pass out, and they'd bring him in the house. And finally, they just they got fed up with it, and they just they just let him let him go, just let him suffer all the consequences. And it was this fellow that pointed out what the text actually says. That when you get to the point that nobody's going to be there kind of, kind of bailing you out, enabling you, and helping you, and whatever in your, in your, in your transgressions, in the adversities of life, then that's the time, sometimes, not always, but sometimes people will actually wake up. And that's when this, this young boy woke up. He woke up. He, did, he didn't wake up when he lost all his money. He didn't wake up when he was there feeding the pigs, though he was in that condition. It's when, well, no man gave unto him. Then it says he came to himself. And then he decided, I, I need to go back. You see, adversity, sweet are the uses of adversity. That is, if by this adversity he calls us to change our attitude, to get in a right relationship with God, and be made better, and be made right in the sight of God, that's what is sweet. Adversity itself, no, it's painful, it's harsh, it's, it's bitter. But the effects, the benefits, that's what is sweet. Think about Paul. There's another example of this principle, sweet are the uses of adversity. Look there in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 1, Paul says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knows. Such a one caught up into the, such a one, uh, caught up into the third heaven. Person, I think he's talking about himself. Talks about the third person, but he, I think he's really talking about himself. But anyway, this man was caught up in the third heaven, which implies a second heaven, which implies a first heaven. First heaven is like the atmosphere. The second heaven is where the stars are, and the third heaven is where God lives. And he was called up to the very abode of God, to the very home of God. That's pretty special. I mean, how many could say, "Yeah, I've seen heaven personally." Well, Paul could have. Well, you might kind of get the big head. He says, "I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot, I cannot tell. God knows." How that he was called up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. For such a one will I, of, of, of such a one uh, will I boast, yet of myself I will not boast, but in my weaknesses. For though I should desire to boast, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be, or that he hears me to be. And, and, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So Paul's right there. Paul had this thorn in the flesh. Don't know what it is. People guess different things. But whatever we know a thorn hurts. You get a thorn in your flesh, pick blackberries, work with roses, and you get a thorn in your flesh, or you get a splinter, you're working on wood, you get a splinter, and it just plain hurts. It smarts. It stings. And it's painful. It's painful. And Paul says whatever it was was some thorn in the flesh, and it was a messenger of Satan. But what good did it do? Well, it kept Paul humble. And that is something that's sweet. Arrogancy is something that is, well, it's just, it's ugly. Arrogancy and pride, it's just an ugly spirit. And Paul could have gotten an ugly, proudful, proudful spirit because he had all these special revelations. But no, God allowed this messenger of Satan to come and give him the stone in the flesh and kept him humble. And that's good. 
And that's what William Shakespeare was saying. He says, sweet are the uses of adversity. Adversity can bring uh, good uses and good benefits if we allow it in our lives. Paul being humble, that is sweet. That is wonderful. Continue on, verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, whether it means just literally three times, possibly. I tend to think of the idea of three times. That is morning, noon, and night. I was praying about this. And so he prayed and prayed. It wasn't vain repetition. I mean, he was earnest as he was praying. Whether it was three literal times or morning, noon, and night, he was praying about that. Paul was earnest every time that the Lord would take this away. And the answer, verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, my, uh, my, uh, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in weaknesses and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That seems oxymoronic. That just seems contradictory. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. How do we explain that? It is when Paul is weak that he needs to lean upon the Lord. And leaning upon the Lord, then God provides grace for him to help him in this time of need. When you don't think you need anything, you don't ask God for anything. If I don't need God, I don't need God for this, I don't need God for that, I'm not thinking about God. But when you have weaknesses, you have adversity, you have uh, challenges, you have distresses, you have reproaches, etc. And, well, then you say, hey, well, you know, I need God. And that's when Paul began to cry unto the Lord and look to him. And then God, of course, gave him grace to help him in those times of need. And leaning upon the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and, and finding his blessing. Now, that, that's sweet. But it came through adversity. So that's why William Shakespeare said, sweet are the uses of adversity. You see, adversity can be a blessing. It can be a curse. Now, it can cause us to curse God and deny God and be bitter against God as we go through adversities in life. But if we allow it to mold us and shape us in a good way, well, then that's sweet when we allow it to help us in a good way. Let's notice there in James chapter 1, as James uses the same concept. In verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials, tribulations, problems. Problems come, count it joy. That seems kind of like the same thing. Sweet, adversity, they, they, they seem like anonyms. They don't seem like they should go together. Well, they do. When you're looking at the concept correctly. Not that adversity is sweet, but the benefits that come from it are sweet. Not that trials and problems are sweet. Your car breaks down. Oh, man, that is great. That, that, that's just so wonderful. No. Oh, I've got a, you, you got a toothache. You're the dentist. Oh, you're going to have to have a root canal. Oh, great. I, I, was, I was really hoping for a root canal. Going to represent pain. Or you go to the doctor and say, Well, I think you're going to have to have an operation. Well, who wants to have an operation? Nobody wants to have an operation. It's painful. It hurts. They put you to sleep and you don't feel it. But after you wake up and the medicine wears off, it hurts and it hurts for a good while until you heal up. But then the benefit comes later on. You get that knee replacement that it's painful, but finally it heals up and uh, you're 
relieved from pain from where it was continual from a bad knee. Well, the point is, when James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, various problems that come your way, it's not the trials itself, it's the benefit that comes from the trials. Knowing this, that the trial of your faith works patience. Patience, that's a lovely, that's a, that's a sweet quality to have. Patience, steadfastness, endurance, the ability to just abide under. And to have that quality, yeah, that, that's, that's sweet. That's a joy to have that quality because you're going to find application in all kinds of ways, but how does it come? Well, he says, knowing that the trial of your faith works patience or produces patience. How are you going to get this patience? Well, you've got to go through trials, various trials, multi-colored multi, uh, multi, uh, trials, polka dot trials, various sizes, shapes, and colors that come your way. That's how you are made to have this beautiful quality called patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. How are we going to be complete through going through trials, going through adversity? These things have a way of molding and shaping us. That's what William Shakespeare said. Sweet are the uses of adversity. If you had an ancient bristlecone pine tree here in Kentucky, well, it just wouldn't do well. Too many problems, too much water could grow too fast, then subject to insects, and insects destroy and, and disease, and the tree doesn't live long. But in the White Mountains of California, in adverse circumstances, yeah, it lives a long time, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years. Because adversity allows it to develop over this long period of time. And to live and to have that longevity. And for us spiritually, how are we going to be made complete? How are we going to develop this patience? Well, it's only going to be produced through going through various trials. And so in verse 5, uh, P, uh, 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 James said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all, all men liberally and reproaches not, and it shall be given him. Now, this, this, the wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge, sometimes they're just synonyms. They just mean the same. But, but I think sometimes the difference is, and the point I think James is, that, okay, knowledge, you know, we can read James chapter 1 and that verses uh, 2, 3, and 4. There's not, there's not one word in there that's difficult to comprehend. We, we can understand those verses 2, 3, and 4. But the application the wisdom of how to apply. How, how, Lord, how, how are we going to be made better from this? Well, what is it that I need to learn when this trial that's coming my way? Maybe it's some physical problem. Maybe it's some persecution. Maybe it's some necessity. Maybe it's some affliction that comes our way. This adversity, this painful situation that I find myself in. How am I going to be made? What do I need to learn, Lord? Well, that's when we need to ask God for wisdom. And how am I going to handle this? What, what's the correct way to, and viewpoint to look at this? Well, okay, we ask God for wisdom. And he says he's going to give it to people liberally. That is generously. And he's not going to be reproached. I'm not giving you nothing. No, he's, going, he's not going to reproach us for asking him. He's going to give it to us. And somebody says, well, how's he going to do it? Well, I don't know. In different ways. doesn't explain how God's going to do it. I don't have to know. All I have to know is that's what God said, and I just trust his promises that I've asked him for wisdom. He's going to give me wisdom. 
Now, any number of ways, we could be reading verses, we could be reading an article, we could talk with somebody. Maybe we're going through some problem, and we're not sure how to handle that, and Lord, please help me to understand. Next thing you know, we're talking to somebody that has gone through the same thing years ago, and they're the ones that are going to give us the wisdom because they experienced it years ago, the same problem that we find ourselves in. That may be how God answers it and gives us that wisdom. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering for him. <clears throat> For he that wavers <clears throat> is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. But let not a man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I mean, if we think, oh, God, I've asked God for wisdom. I, I, I believe he's going to do it. And then later down, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if God's going to be able to give it to me. I, yeah, I, I'm having doubts. Well, that's wavering. Not going to receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his way. Literally double-minded means two so, literally is the concept. That is, we think, yeah, I'm, I'm believing what James said about asking for wisdom, but then, you know, later in the day, I didn't get anything, so we begin to doubt. No, God doesn't tell us exactly how he's going to give it to us, nor does he tell us exactly when he's going to give it to us. We just trust that he's going to give it to us. And in his time and in his providence, he will deliver. And he will. That's the promise of God. See, that's where faith comes in. And that's where our faith will be exercised. Sometimes we say, oh, yeah, I have faith. It's like kids in school. Yeah, yeah, I know that English. Yeah, I've, I've studied that. I, yeah, science. Yeah, I've got it down. I've got it down pat. You think you better say, no, I don't need it. I, I already know it. So then the teacher gives the test. Okay, what's the test do? Well, it says, do you really know it or not? I mean, teachers, they don't give tests just to punish the kids. Say, hoo, 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 I think I'm going to give these kids a bunch of tests the, uh, the next two weeks, two or three weeks, just to punish them. No. It's to reveal whether these kids really know it or not. That's why teachers give tests. And sometimes I, I remember in, when I'd be in school, I'd think, yeah, yeah, I, I think I know this pretty good. And didn't, didn't study quite as much as I should, and now, uh, you know, get, a, get, a, get an 80. I'm like, well, that's, I mean, it's a passing grade, but it's like, yeah, I thought I knew it better. And that, says, and that test said, no, Danny, you, you didn't know it as good as you thought you did. And so then the lesson to learn is that, well, you need to study every time. You need to study every time. Let's look at another uh, area where uh, adversity can make us stronger. That is spreading the word. If you look there in Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> in Acts chapter 1, just soon before Jesus would ascend back into heaven, he tells the apostles, but you shall receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So they would begin in Jerusalem and then they would spread out to Judea and on to Samaria and then throughout the whole world. That, that was the intention of the Great Commission. But you look at the early chapters of Acts, they kind of hovered pretty close around Jerusalem and Judea. Stayed pretty close. In Acts chapter 8, notice what happens. And Saul was consenting unto his death, that is the death of Stephen, and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. <clears throat> and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and dragging off men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, that is in view of this adversity. What adversity? Persecution. Hauling people to prison, persecuting, the, the death of Stephen, etc. All this adversity. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Adversity caused the brethren to scatter out. 
and they went preaching the word. When you preach the word, you're sowing the seed. That's how people are going to be converted. They've got to learn truth. You can't obey God if you don't know about God. And the only way you're going to know about God is to hear God's word. And that comes from Christians who know the truth and are speaking and preaching the truth and sharing the message of the word. So they go out preaching the word. And that is sweet because people are being converted. People are hearing the gospel. People are obeying the gospel. And it spreads further. The message of the gospel is going out in other places. That's sweet. But it came through adversity. That's the concept. That's the concept that we see biblically. And that's what William Shakespeare was saying. Sweet are the uses of adversity. The ability to use adversity to its advantage. Let's look at another verse. Another passage found in the Bible. It teaches the same concept. Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. That includes adversities. That that includes various trials and problems in life. They work together for good. Is that a blanket statement for everybody? No. It's for those that love God. People that don't love God when problems come, it's like you read in Matthew chapter 13, like when persecutions and trials and tribulations, those that are on the stony ground that don't have any depth of, of, of conviction, depth and uh, uh, roots going deep into their hearts, while it's like the sun beating down on plants that just withers away and dies. People that don't have any depth of conviction, don't, don't really have any profound love for God, well, they just wither away and quit. You see, all things work together for good. For everybody? No. For them that love God. For those that love God, they go in in times of adversity and great trials and tribulations. And people that love God just draw closer to God. They're seeking God. They're seeking the help of God, like Paul did when he had a thorn in the flesh. It would have been easy for Paul to say, give in, you know, and give in to uh, just quit the Lord. But he didn't. God gave him an answer. He was seeking God for an answer, and God gave him the answer that he needed. That, that thorn of flesh was for his benefit to keep him humble. If Paul got all puffed up and got all haughty and, and big-headed and, and thought he was better than everybody else, well, he falls into sin. And ultimately, he loses his soul. That's bad. But he has a thorn in the flesh, and he's kept humble, and he keeps serving God and seeking God, and that's good because he's going to get to heaven. You see how it works? The adversity keeps him in line in the way that he needs to go. And these various trials and problems that come our way, it is to our blessing and to our benefit. And so if we love God, yeah, it's all going to work together for good. Is it going to be pain-free? Nope. Never is. You don't get strong muscles pain-free. It's like one time I was driving in Perryville. That's over close to Danville. And they had... They had Effortless exercise machine. Effortless exercise machines. How's that going to do you any good? It's not going to make your muscles stronger if you just sit there and it does all the exercising for you. Just move, move your legs, move your arms, and you don't do nothing. You just sit there and relax. Now, that's not going to help you. You're not going to be made stronger. Yeah, it's only going to work good if we love God. That, that is something that's going to be necessary. Let's look at the concept from a little different, different uh, angle or perspective there in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively, a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready, ready to be revealed in the last time. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven. That's sweet. But, listen to verse, verse 7. That the trial of your faith, oh, excuse me, verse 6, in which, you were, in, in which you greatly rejoice, the sweet promise of eternal life, though now for a little, for a little while, if need be, you're in heaviness through the manifold trials. Manifold trials. It's like a manifold intake or a manifold exhaust on the car. You've got eight cylinders, you've got a manifold intake. There on top of that engine, you've got manifold. There are eight, serving eight cylinders. Or a manifold exhaust, you've got four on each side of the V8 engine. It's four cylinders being served by that single exhaust, manifold. So here you've got manifold trials. Not just one trial, but many trials, various trials in your life. Yeah, that happens. It happens, number one, just being a part of the human race. If you're not a Christian, you're still going to suffer in this world. Did the virus only affect Christians? No. Did the virus only affect unbelievers? No. It affects everybody. Sicknesses just befall all of us. Tornadoes come. It affects good and bad alike. Floods come. It affects good and bad alike. The various things that happen, just, just being part of the human race. And then there are those problems that are particular come for being a Christian. Being made fun of. Now, maybe we're not thrown in the lion's den, but at work we're in the lion's den of unbelievers that because we said something that we believe in, that God says, and you got all the people verbally attacking you like a lion, like vicious lion. I mean, people can be pretty vicious, let me tell you. I mean, people can use their tongue like an arrow, like a dagger, and they can attack, and they can say cutting remarks. Yeah, it can happen. Various trials come because of our faith of what we believe in Christ Jesus and biblical principles. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory and appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love in whom, though you see him not yet, believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation, that, that's sweet. But we go through adversities. And living on planet earth and those that love God, it's all going to work together because it's going to cause us to draw closer to God. I mean, Satan, he's trying to throw all these things to get us to quit. And if we allow its uses, it's just going to make us better, make us stronger, make us more determined. I've I got to get to heaven. I've, I've got to keep serving the Lord. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw it in. I need to make it to heaven. And so it has a right. Refining effect, just like gold. You go out and dig up this gold. Like uh, Barbara's sister, uh, the one that had the hip replacement, they go up to Alaska and they get this gold out of the Bering Sea. Well, that gold, it's gold, but there's impurities. And so it's going to have to be refined. And the way you refine it is like you put it in the, you put it in, in, in the fire. And it melts down and gold's heavy and it goes to the bottom and the dross comes to the top and you separate it and that's how you get pure gold. It has to go through the fire. 
It's like grape juice. It's like olive oil. It has to be put in the press. You're not going to get grape juice by just looking at a bunch of grapes sitting there. You're not going to get olive oil by just some olives there in a bunch. You've got to put it in the press. And sometimes we go through the press to be refined, to be made better. And when we're made better, that's sweet, is it not? Yep, that's sweet. And then one more uh, concept. <clears throat> in the book of Acts, chapter 14 and verse 22. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, it says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorted them to continue in the faith, that we through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Well, said, hey, we're going to go through tribulation. Hello, we're living in planet Earth. Hello, the devil is alive and active. Hello, the devil's going to try to cause problems during the life that we would quit the Lord. Yep. Yep, tribulation's going to come. If we're going to enter the eternal kingdom, yeah, we're going to go through these tribulations. And then look at Revelation chapter 21 where it talks about this glorified Jerusalem. Whether it's talking about the church glorified now or in eternity. The point is the same. And that is, it says the 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each of the gates uh, was a single pearl, and the streets of the city was uh, pure gold, and it was, uh, as it were, transparent, transparent glass. The pearly gates. How do we get pearls? We just, just find some pearls. We just walk along the road. Hey, look, there's some pearls. And we just start picking them up. Hey, these are really pretty. They're so smooth and, and just kind of glisten. And, hey, I think we'll just string them together and we'll just wear a necklace of pearls. No, that's not how they come. You have these little oysters, these little, uh, either in salt water or fresh water, they get a piece of, get a piece of grain in, into their system. They don't have a hand to like, you know, sort of take it out. It's kind of like we get a speck of dust, you know, we get a mirror and we get a piece of Kleenex and we gently get that speck of dust out. We have hands to do that. Now, oysters, they don't, they don't have hands and arms. And so what they do with this grain that's very irritating to their system, they put a coating over it, and that's what makes this pearl. So through the pain of that little sea creature or lake creature, water creature, through that pain, pearls are produced. And for us to enter in through the pearly gates, we're going to have to go through pain. Living on planet Earth, dealing with the problems of this world, yeah, we're going to have to deal with painful issues. And how are we going to handle them? We're going to let those things make us better? To make us, uh, to, to be the kind of people we need to be? To mold us and shape us in, in the image of God's dear Son? To make us more dedicated, more determined to serve Him and to be faithful regardless? Yeah, that's what God wants. If we love God, that's what's going to happen, and it's going to work to our good. But if we don't, it's going to cause us to stumble and to fall and to give up on God. Yeah, it is through adversity, it is through the problems of this world that we're going to be made better and be made stronger. Yes, sweet are the uses of adversity. Okay, <clears throat> well, let's extend the plan of salvation. If you're here and you never obeyed the gospel, Great time. Why is it a great time? Well, number one, we're living, the world's standing. Number two, Jesus is ready. Number three, you all things are ready. I mean, you, you could obey, obey the gospel even today. You don't have to wait, well, you know, in a few months or maybe in a year or so, you, you could obey the gospel. You, you could do it today. 
Ow. Well, you hear this good news about salvation in Christ Jesus? Say, hey, yeah, he's the Savior. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, I'm willing to repent and turn to him. I'm willing to confess him before men. And yeah, I'm willing to be baptized for forgiveness. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But nothing complex, nothing difficult about that. You can do that. It's your choice. It's not my choice. I made my choice years ago. I, I, I decided to obey the gospel on September 13, 1977. That's when I obeyed the gospel. And every day I have to make that choice to keep serving God. And you can make that choice because the Bible says in Revelation 2 and verse 10, then the verse, be thou faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. And then if you've erred, you come back through repentance and prayer. Yeah, sweet are the uses of adversity. If you're going through trials and tribulations in your life and you see the need for God, and you realize that without God, you're lost and undone. That's, that will ultimately be terribly bitter. But if trials and tribulations cause you to think about God and turn your life around and decide to obey the gospel, and when you obey the gospel, that will be sweet. The day that you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. If we could help you in any way, you come and let us know while together as we stand.